There was a reason I picked Romans chapter 12 for our scripture reading today and not portions of it, because the entire scripture of Romans chapter 12 pinpoints everything quite well how we as Christians should perform our mission, should perform our attitudes towards others, and should perform as God requires of us, not because we have to, but because we love Jesus. Jesus lived the perfect life, and it is he is who our example is to be. Today I have a short PowerPoint presentation. I hope you have your Bibles ready, because we will be going through our Bibles a lot today. Jesus is going to preach to us today. I'm just going to read his words, and you follow along in the Scriptures. But how many have heard of the Beatitudes? Beatitudes. How many know where they're located? Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7. Those are the pinpointed chapters we're going to look at today as we focus on mission. We're in a transitional stage of a new pastor. We're also in a transitional stage of refocusing what the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in Fox Valley is here for. And I hope today as we look at some of these definitions and look at the scriptures how the Beatitudes in the Scriptures, how Jesus preached this message right within the focus of mission. The definition for mission, as you can see on the screen, I have an example of the mission for the Wisconsin SDA Conference, which is to uplift Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. Very simplified, not hard to remember, but that is the main focus of the Wisconsin mission, but it should also be focused of the entire mission of the Seventh-day Adventist Church worldwide. There is a proposed Fox Valley mission statement in the process of being looked at, which will be looked at at the next board meeting. So if you are a board member, uh, you know that you're required to be there. But also, if you can't make it, it's understandable. But if you're not a board member, realize that you have the right to be there as well as anybody else. So don't think that, well, the board is just for the board members. No, it's for the entire church so you know what's going on. That's when things get discussed to where the direction of the church is going to be going. Not just the worldwide church, but your local Seventh-day Adventist church. If you have any problems At the board meeting is a time to bring it up. Any approvals, the board meeting approves it or disapproves it. We also have another thing happening that Gary mentioned. We'll be looking at the nomination process. It is in the church manual what we do now, but I think there could be some revisions within it. If you have the church manual, I'd highly suggest that we open it up and look through it, study it, learn it to the best of our ability. It's just a guideline, of course. But it is a good guideline. It's put together for an organizational purpose. If you remember in the book of the Old Testament, I don't remember exactly which book it is offhand today, but there you talked about the story of Jethro and Moses, right? Where Moses was judging all these things, and he had responsible for the entire Israelite people. And then Jethro suggested to him that he would divide the group into hundreds, fifties, and tens, correct? And that is kind of the structure that we use in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. 
It is not always implemented as effective as it could be. But uh, we hope that uh, we can get that vision back. So the title for today's sermon is The Beatitudes of Mission. So Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is where we're going to be having our focus today. It has a lot to say about the mission of your church under the direction of who? Jesus Christ. Not the board members, but Jesus Christ. Jesus assembled the disciples for a purpose, and because of that purpose, he claimed it to be the focus of his church. And today, we're going to be looking at these scriptures and a better detailed look at the mission of the church. So if you have your Bibles, you can go to Matthew chapter 5. As we start out today's first look. Here we have mission. Mission definition. I found this just simple off of the internet for direction, for definition. It says the campaign of a religious work carried out by the church. What is a campaign? A campaign is something that is sustenance. It continues to go forward, always forward. It has a purpose. It is something that is organized and its focus is on religious work of the mission. That's the definition of mission. A campaign of a religious work carried out by the church. Who is the church? This building? No. The church is part of the building. It's where we come to worship and, and honor God and have our meetings and so forth. But that isn't the focus. Who is really the church? All of us, right? Every one of us are the church. We belong to the body of Jesus Christ. And because of him, we are the church. So when you hear the word church, it doesn't mean just come to the building. It means people in the building as well. Our first scripture we'll be looking at is Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. And I hope that as we go through these definitions, we can focus on how mission relates to these scriptures, what Jesus was teaching in the Beatitudes. So starting in verse 13, it says, And lead us, correction, go back a little bit here. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? Is it thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and be trodden under foot of men? Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And who? Glorify who? Ourselves? No. Glorify your Father in heaven. So that was Jesus' point of the mission of the church, to glorify our Heavenly Father. We are the light of the world, the salt of the earth. Fellowship is our next focus. Is fellowship important in the church? Definitely is. Fellowship is a social network within the church. It helps the church Focus on loving one another, caring for one another, 
supporting one another. Because when you come out of the world, you have your own chain link of friends and so forth that support you. But when you come into the church, the church is there for that purpose, to replace the sinful way of life in a more holy environment. Not because we are holy, but because who is holy? Jesus Christ. So fellowship is the sharing of a common interests, experiences, or goals. Fellowship is important because it helps form friendships. It helps develop a support structure for faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Our next scripture, Matthew chapter 5 again, starting in verse 1. This is what Jesus had to say about fellowship. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. You can see how the theme of fellowship fits right into these beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Who else did they persecute before the prophets or even after the prophets? Before us. Jesus was persecuted, wasn't he? So he shares in that fellowship. So when we're persecuted for what we believe... We can praise God because it's in the fellowship of the Holy Trinity of Jesus Christ and the church body where we can have that connection to Jesus and each other. The next one is ministry. Ministry's definition is the act of serving others while you serve God. We serve others because we want to get into the kingdom of heaven. Is that the reason? No, that's not the reason. We serve others because Jesus has served us. We want to reflect his character in this ministry format. So when we have the foot washing ceremony during the communion service, that is a symbol of that ministry focus, of ministry towards each other and ministry towards those even out of the church. So ministry is the act of serving others while you serve God. Scripture again, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Think not that I come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever thereof shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven but whosoever shall do and teach them the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven for i say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness 
of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Here he talks about the Ten Commandments, correct? Ten Commandments is summed up in two primary commandments. The first four represent worshiping God, right? Serving God. And the last six represent the fellowship of each other, serving one another, respecting one another's property, respecting one another's lives. But we put God first in the first four, and we put Christianity actions towards others in the last six. The next one is discipleship. Discipleship is an important facet because it helps to make the transition from sinner onto Christ-likeness Christianity. Discipleship is important because it helps us to learn what Jesus wants us to learn. The description for discipleship is the teaching of Jesus Christ or the teaching of Christianity. This is a slow process, especially if you're not familiar with Jesus or his word, the word of God. This is a process that takes place in our individual lives. As we grow with Jesus, we also are growing in discipleship. As we learn about Jesus and his truths, we are growing in discipleship. The ultimate goal for discipleship is to teach the method that Jesus wants us to have to help others learn the same method that he had taught us, if that makes any sense. So discipleship is a process in which we focus on growing and helping others grow in that relationship to Jesus Christ so that they, in turn, can help others in the same process. It's an ongoing campaign. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 48 focuses on discipleship. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Rakai, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar... And there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First to be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him. Lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, Thou shalt by thine own means come out thence, till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh unto a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if the right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, 
and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. Again, these are the processes or the concepts of Jesus where the people thought that this was the right way, but Jesus is saying this is not the right way, this is the right way. So it is a discipleship, a, a learning process. And this afternoon we're having a marriage ceremony. Praise God for that, amen? amen? And they are here with us today. And this is another point that Jesus makes, that when we commit ourselves to a married life, at the very end there, it talks about that even if you look upon a woman lustfully after her, you are committing adultery with your heart. So that means you are a sinner. So in that case, you need to have forgiveness for sins and be cleansed from all unrighteousness. And the same goes for the wife and vice versa. But committing adultery is not just the main thing that can break up marriages, is it? There's a lot of other things. But God says that there are certain aspects that give the right for a divorcement. And we just looked at it here in the scriptures. Verse 33, again ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Ye have heard that it hath been said, An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him of the other also. And if any man shall sue thee at of all the laws, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not away. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Again, the concepts that were in the minds of these disciples before they became followers of Jesus had been transferred to a better thought pattern, a way that God wants us to understand what he is all about, how sin can be overcome, how we have to change our old attitudes and bring them to a more spiritual, positive attitude towards our relationship to each other and to our Heavenly Father. So in that process, Jesus was teaching the disciples to learn that. And as a result, they were supposed to preach and teach that on to others as the process continued to go on. Now we come to worship. Worship is not just what we're doing today. We just went through last quarter 
an entire Sabbath school lesson study on what worship is really all about. Worship is more than coming together on the Sabbath to worship God. It's a daily routine with us and God. The definition is the adoration, love, devotion, and respect given to God. That is what true worship is all about. Putting God first, respecting Him for who He is, honoring Him to the best of our ability through Jesus Christ, our Lord, through Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. We are filthy. We are as filthy rags, the Scripture tells us. So there is no way that we can make ourselves righteous. But we can make ourselves righteous through Jesus Christ by accepting Him, following Him, and adoring Him, loving Him, and devoting our lives and respect to God. And as we do this, the Sabbath is a big issue because it separates us from the world for a period of 24 hours, which we can focus from Friday sunset to Sabbath Saturday sunset on our relationship of worshiping God, of developing relationships amongst these other. And God gives us that time to develop these characters, to develop this form, to respect and adore him. But again, we're supposed to do that on a daily basis. Matthew chapter 6 talks about worship. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let none thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Again, this is a commitment, a devotion, an adoration to God. It doesn't need to be spread out and say, well, I've done this and I've done that and I've given this. and I've... That's not what God wants. We're not really giving God all the glory when we complain or when we claim those things for ourselves. We want to give God the glory. So in a way, we keep it hush-hush. We do it to honor Him. Going on. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray staying in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have the reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter in through thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So we're talking about two forms of prayer here, our personal prayer life as well as our worship prayer life and fellowship prayer life. Verse 7, But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions, as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. In verse 9, After this manner therefore pray ye, and I invite you to say this prayer with me, because it is the Lord's Prayer and it is appropriate to have this verbally allowed in the church environment. Our Father, which art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 
I would highly encourage that if you don't have this prayer memorized, that you do memorize it. Because it really sums up how we can worship and honor God at the same time in a prayer format and how he provides for our needs. We don't have time to go into all the details of the Lord's Prayer today, but we go on. Verse 16. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. They were talking about, again, uh, affliction. And when we, we fast, it doesn't have to be a regular thing, but if we have an affliction with God, it doesn't hurt to fast or fast from something that takes us away from worldly desires and so forth. When we fast, we just abstain from certain things that are not good for our, for our spiritual well-being. So fasting is just basically pulling away from that. So when we do fast, it is appropriate in our relationship to God to fast, but not to push ourselves to the limit. I mean, Jesus fasted in the wilderness, did he not? So it is, it is a humble experience. And uh, they've done it in the Old Testament a lot too, and they talk about it in the New Testament as well, because it's a sign of a um, kind of a, a, a commitment to God because of something you want to improve in your life or something that you need to abstain from in your life. Verse 19, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break in, throw to steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field which today is, and Tomorrow is cast into the oven. Shall he not more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow will take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So again, very good, uh, Matthew chapter 6, about how, how we can relate to a worship environment to God, putting God first in all things, putting trust in his way of, of confidence in him for providing for our needs. 
The next one is uh, evangelism. The definition for evangelism is the spreading of Christianity with enthusiastic gusto. Okay, I like that definition because sometimes we think evangelism is hanging a piece of literature to somebody. Well, it's part of evangelism. But when evangelism really takes place, it's when you're preaching the word of God and, and you're, you're enthusiastic about it. And that's what makes evangelistic meetings so exciting because the message starts, you know, you can start feeling the Holy Spirit working in the lives of people. And uh, Jesus was that type of a preacher. So evangelism is important because it helps to relate the messages, not some humdrum experience, but as an experience that is exciting, uh, an experience that transforms your life, something that takes you away from sin and into the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's something to get excited about. And uh, when we have evangelistic meetings, that's the motive. That should be the... uh, motivation to preach Jesus Christ with enthusiastic gusto and the scriptures and the truths that he teaches with enthusiastic gusto. And it's really hard not to get excited about these truths, especially for, for those who have heard it for the first time. They're like, wow, really? And if the, if the messenger is, is, is imbued by the Holy Spirit, I mean, that, that message just goes uh, aggressively, spiritually aggressively into the hearts and lives of those around who are participating in evangelistic services. But some of the important aspects are also pointed out in evangelism, uh, besides the truth. Discipleship is part of the truth-learning process, but evangelism is more like a turn from this way of sin, turn from this way of believing and go into the Word of God and see what the Word of God has to offer and accept Him because He is our Heavenly Father. So evangelism is an important process. Uh, Matthew chapter 7 talks about evangelism. And these are some of the topics that are mentioned in evangelistic meetings as they are presented. Judge not that ye be not judged. For what, what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to see and to cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before the swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom if his son ask of the bread, why shall he give him a stone? Or if he ask of a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you Do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter ye into the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in threat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, They are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? 
Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine... And doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house. And it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So again, the message of the gospel, the truth as it is in Jesus, enthusiastic gusto. People were astonished. That's what evangelistic meetings are supposed to do. Astonish people into realizing, hey, there's something better than what I'm in right now. Amen? Amen. And finally, the last one we're going to look at today is outreach. Outreach kind of has a definition that people don't always understand as a form of outreach. This is the definition. It is the communication and marketing Christianity. Now think about that. The communication and marketing of Christianity. Get our little communicator there. He, uh, communication message is so important. I mean, it started way back in, way back in the time of Christ with the scribes and, and, the, and the scrolls and all that, but also came up to our more modern times. We had the Pony Express and all these other things. Now we have the computer. So we've seen that communication has spread so rapidly to get to the hearts and minds and people in different ways. Newspapers, uh, news media, radio, television, everything like that. That's what outreach is what outreach should be focused on. The communication and marketing of Christianity. And in concluding, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 25, how outreach is mentioned by Jesus here, and what it focus should be. And when we're marketing Christianity, these are the things that Jesus compares them to. Matthew chapter 25, verse, starting in verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. 
And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, and here the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was a hungered, and he gave me meat. I was thirsty, and he gave me drink. I was a stranger, and he took me in. Naked, and he clothed me. I was sick, and he visited me. I was in prison, and he came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered, and fed thee, and thirsty, and, and gave thee to drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, and in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. That's outreach, communicating and marketing of Christianity. And, of course, those that think they were doing communicating, outreach, Jesus has a different message for them. Then shall ye say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, unto everlasting fire. Prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee, and hungered, or thirst, or a stranger, naked, and sick, and in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it not unto one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And he shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. So, where do you stand today? Covered a lot today, and I hope that it was clear from the Beatitudes what mission is all about, how Jesus preached mission through the Beatitudes. Mission, fellowship, ministry, discipleship, worship, evangelism, outreach. These are all important for this church. And they all need to be organized in a format in which it can be spread effectively and organized in a way that it can reach as many as possible. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this blessed message in the Beatitudes. We ask that your blessing would rest upon each and every those who have heard this message today. Let our hearts be uplifted to you in praise and honor and glory. Let us worship and serve you, Lord, as, as you have called us to do. Let us renew our vows today, Lord, as we look forward to a new year, a new year of commitment, a new year of organization, and a new year in which we can commit our lives for better serving you in all these things that were mentioned today. We pray for these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our High Priest in the kingdom of heaven. Amen.